So tonight my topic is about the benefits and the attitudes of being a mentor. Uh, Mike is going to be talking about the benefits of being a mentee or being mentored uh, next month, so you want to come back for that. So I want to talk about that tonight, and I want to try to stay pretty focused on just, just the mentor. And when I say that, I know a lot of you are, you know, concerned about, well, you know, could I be a mentor, you know, could I fall into that role? Uh, by the end of tonight, I hope that you will all feel like, you know, I, I could do that. Now, when, uh, when you do a word search, you know, some of us use uh, uh, digital platforms, and so we'd go to uh, Bible Gateway or our U version uh, of our Bible, and we would type in the word mentor. What do you think comes up in the word search? Nothing. Well, what about minty? Not, you know, like I, every time I say that, I think of the Mentos, you know, the little white uh, uh, things that we pop in our mouth. What do you think comes up when you search minty? Zero. Well, surely there's got to be something in the Bible about being mentored, uh, you know, or mentoring. So surely there's something in the Bible about that, right? What do you think? Zero. So if you look up those words uh, in a Bible dictionary concordance, uh, an online um, word search, you're not going to find those words in the Bible. So that means that either the men's leadership are off the rocker. They don't know what they're talking about. We're wasting our time you know, here tonight at church talking about a subject that's not mentioned in the Bible, or maybe there's a little more to it than the exact word. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in faith and say there is definitely, without a doubt, the subject of mentors, mentoring, being mentored, mentees, uh, that is both found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I'm going to share with you just a couple of lists. Some of these you guys are going to know quite well. Um, so when we talk about that, think about these, these people in, the, in uh, both Old and New Testament. These are probably some of the better known ones. Uh, Jethro and Moses, you know about that story? How about Moses and Joshua, Deborah and Barak, uh, Naomi and Ruth, Elijah and Elisha, uh, Elizabeth and Mary. So mentoring is both a male and a female uh, subject that's demonstrated in the Bible. Uh, how about Jesus and his disciples? So mentoring can be one-on-one, -on -one, it can be one-on-a few, it can be one-on a, a, a smaller group, but uh, usually it'll take on the form of one-on-one. -on -one. How about uh, Barnabas and Paul, or Saul? How about Paul and Timothy? We've heard of all those pairs, right? And you would, if you know your Bible, you know the Bible chronology, if you know the stories in the Bible, you, and you understand what mentoring is all about, you see that the subject of mentoring is clearly taught both Old and New Testament. What you might not know is there's, there are a lot more of these pairs of mentors or mentor, mentor and mentorees found in the Bible. Some of the lesser known ones are, uh, how about Abraham and Lot? Think about that. How about David and Jonathan? How about uh, Ezra and Nehemiah? How about Nathan and David? How about Luke and Theophilus? I'm sure you thought of that one, right? How about Barnabas and Mark, or John Mark? How about Paul and Titus? How about Paul and Philemon and Onesimus? 
How about Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos? And I could go on and on. There are a lot more that are found in the Bible that are pairs. Uh, usually it's one-on-one -on -one or one-on-a-few. Uh, sometimes, like, you know, there's two-on-one. But generally speaking, it's a small group where someone else is investing in another person. Uh, since I'm going to be talking about this subject of being a mentor, I guess I better define it. I better explain it um, if we're going to get to where I want us to be. When most people think of being a mentor, um, and this is the way I used to think, so if you think this way, um, I was there at one time, we normally think of expert, right? And I love this name tag that some people, you know, whether they actually wear this on their shirt is usually not the case, but they should, you know, it's like, well, that's your attitude. You might as well put the thing on your, on your chest. Tell everyone, I'm an expert. Come talk to me. I've got all the answers. You feel like there are some people that you know in your life that feel that way? That's the way they think of themselves? Uh, I've, I've had a few, and I'm glad to know that most of the men at Village Church don't have this attitude, um, but um, I have met a few that feel like they're the expert. Let me explain this word expert. You know, let's decipher this word. It's made up of two words, X. You know what X means? It means a former or a previous. A former wife, a former girlfriend, a former boss, someone that was previous in your life or previously they held a position. And you know what a spurt is? It's a sudden, according to the dictionary, it's a sudden or forceful gush of water, energy, or activity. So this is every time someone says they're an expert, I say, oh, so you're, you're basically, you're, a, you're just, you know, a previous uh, sudden gush of forceful water. You know, you're just spurting out. You know, I, I like to say, well, if you're an expert, you're a has-been that just likes to keep spurting off at the mouth. You like telling everybody what you've done in the past. You know, as you can tell, how do I feel about that word expert? Yeah, I feel real good about that word. You know, and I've been, you know, because of my uh, previous uh, life and my other uh, side of my life of working on cars and training mechanics, people have referred to me as an expert. And I, I just want to, I, I cringe when I hear that word. Uh, I, I hate that word because, in essence, this is how I feel about an expert. And this is how an, uh, an expert ought to feel about themselves. Hey, I have lived enough life. I have experienced enough things in a certain field. I've made enough mistakes in that field to know when something is working right and when something is about to go wrong. Now, that should be the attitude of an expert. You know, they are not a know-it-all. They're not someone who has all the answers, have seen everything. You know, I've seen a lot in, in my field of auto mechanics and truck and diesel mechanics. I, I've seen a lot of things. I've not seen everything. I don't know everything. But an expert, a true expert, has that attitude that they know all, they're the guru that knows everything, has lived everything, that, you know, has all wisdom. Well, there has been and will only ever be one expert, and that's Jesus. And we know that he made no mistakes. We know that he knows all, sees all, um, can do all. 
and no one on earth, no human being, no man, how great, and no matter how great he is, is able to level up to, to that expert. So I don't like to use the word expert, so hopefully you understand when I say, um, and I'm going to ask you to say this with, with me, all right? I want you guys to say this with me. We don't need any more experts. Can you say that with me? We don't need any more experts. Now, you weren't real confident in that, so I'm going to challenge you to say a little bit better. Ready? We don't need any more experts. We don't need any more experts in the church. We don't need any more experts when it comes to being a mentor. You know, there are too many uh, mistakes that have been made. Uh, there's too many of us who have lived enough life, have experienced enough heartaches and hurts and have made enough mistakes uh, both um, as a mentor and as someone who is trying to learn uh, that we understand none of us in this room are perfect and none of the people that if you become a mentor you will continue to make mistakes you will continue to, to not do things the best you can and there's going to be some challenges so as I said you know an expert or a true mentor is someone who's had enough life experience, enough spiritual life experience. They've had some learning. They've had some kind of training. So there is some foundation in, in what they're about to offer. They've made enough personal mistakes. They've seen enough hurt in their own life and maybe in the lives of others that they actually have something to offer to someone who's not quite that far down the road. So that's what I want to share with you about when you think about being a mentor. Um, I've got a definition, and, and I'm going to tell you that when I went to uh, my sources to try to find uh, a clear and concise definition of what is a mentor, I really wrestled. I, I looked at a lot of different sources, and I, I had to just basically take a little bit here and a little bit there, and this is what I came up with, okay? A mentor is someone who is intentionally sharing his biblical, biblical learning. So it's an intentional relationship. His spiritual life's experiences and his godly encouragement with another, another man or another woman, in order that the learner or the mentee may love, follow, and serve the Lord more deeply. It's an intentional relationship. You don't become a mentor on accident. I mean, you enter into this intentionally and say, I, I'm going to do something for someone else that, that I see that they need. So it's an intentional relationship. It may start off at, at some point kind of loose as just kind of a friendship or some type of a loose relationship. But if you're going to be a true mentor, there's going to be some intentionality. That's, that's put into it, and it's going to be an, an investment. I want to go on to say this. Furthermore, he, the mentor, is relationally investing. So it's not just a, a, what I call an information dump. You know, a, a, a mentor isn't someone that just pours knowledge or pours information onto the learner, onto the student, or onto the mentee. It's more than that. It's a, it's a uh, relational investment. And, and he's graciously holding accountable uh, the learner, the mentee, to grow in his walk with Jesus. 
So there's an accountability piece that also comes in this. Usually the mentor is someone older in age and older in the Lord, but that doesn't always play itself out. I've seen um, younger men mentor older men spiritually. I've seen uh, men of the same age mentor uh, someone, and it works out fine. Normally, uh, as we look at the examples that you see in Scripture, usually the mentor is a little bit older, a little bit more mature in the Lord, in their faith, than the mentee. Um, that's usually the way it plays out, um, but it, can't, it doesn't always have to be that way. I want to share with you uh, my first experience of, with a mentor. Uh, I was, uh, I grew up, and I, I think I, many, of I, many of you guys have heard my story. I, I grew up in a uh, Christian home in the sense that we believed in God, but we didn't go to church. And the only way I went to church was by the local church. Uh, there was a church in the neighborhood that had a, had a bus, and they picked up the kids, and my mom and dad thought it was great to get us out of the house on Sunday morning. So that's how I went to church. Um, but fast forward from the time that I was 10 and 11 years old going to church on that church bus to now I'm 18 years old. And I'm, I left home, um, had a, my mom and dad divorced when I was 15. I left home a month before I graduated from high school, uh, moved into my own apartment. And um, I was dating this girl that her dad said, uh, if you want to date my daughter, you have to come to church. And she was the pianist, uh, pianist player uh, at the church. And, and I thought, well, you know, church, I remember church. It was a good experience. I probably ought to go back. And, you know, I really wanted to date this girl. So, you know, that was motivation enough that, okay, I'll go. And when I got to this church, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, and I, she was involved. She was a year younger than me. And she was involved in something called a youth group. I didn't know what a youth group was, you know, uh, at the time. So there was a youth pastor. He was the associate pastor and youth pastor. His name was Don, Don Stevens. And um, Don was uh, the guy that um, all the kids kind of liked and hated at the same time because he was, he was a, uh, a student of the Bible, and he didn't put up with any foolishness. You know, if kids got out of line, he called them down and you know, made them made them toe the line. And, and so we're, we were in this church, and um, he, you know, he kind of so must have saw something in me, and I don't really know how to explain it, that um, I found myself hanging out at his house. You know, um, I graduated from high school, and like I said, about a month after we started, uh, I started dating this girl, and I found myself going to church. Uh, on a, a weekday, on a day when I wasn't working. And I'd have lunch with Don. And Don would teach me things in the Bible. And Don would, you know, do, do things like, uh, you know, uh, he, I think he bought me a study uh, book at one time, a commentary on a certain book of the Bible. And he was one that I could go to with questions. And he would answer them. And he, I felt he was never judging me. You know, and, you know, I, as I look back on my life, I was one messed up 19-year-old. I mean, I was really pretty far out there. And he never, he never got in my face and said, you know, um, you got to stop doing what you're doing. But he kept giving me the gospel and kept giving me alternatives. And he kept uh, letting me go to him for answers. And it was then, it was under 
uh, his ministry, his influence in my life, that I felt I was called into ministry. And, you know, that, that's, that's a whole other story. And, and to the point where I said, okay, if, if this is what's happening, what should I do? And he was a guy that was able to point me to uh, go to a Bible college. Um, and it was when we were in Bible college that I met my second mentor. And this guy, I kid you not, his name was John Smith, or is John Smith. Um, he ended up, he was the college uh, pastor at this church. The church was, had a very large uh, college ministry, a couple hundred students. And uh, John and I just hit it off. And he, he would be a guy that I would just find myself in his office talking. And he, uh, I was never a burden to him. And it was a, he was a guy that I, I felt that I could trust and a, a guy that I could uh, confide in, in my personal struggles. Uh, he was a guy that um, ended up doing uh, our wedding. Uh, he's a guy that we still are Facebook friends and still encourage each other in our uh, separate ministries. Um, you know, I, and I could go on and on. I don't know if you have any mentor in your life. I don't know if you have... I had a series of uh, older men or men that were a little bit more mature in the faith that have, have intentionally invested in your life like I have uh, had or not. I would encourage you um, that if you've not had that, by the end of what I'm about to say today, I hope you're going to seek that, that person out. Because there are people in this church, there are people in this room that would be great mentors. And they would be, it would be great for you to to be invested in. All right. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the greatest, the best mentor in the Bible, who do you think of? Yeah, it's the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every Sunday school question. When you think of the second best mentor in the Bible, and again, a lot of times we use the word mentor um, we, we understand that even in the secular, secular world, we understand a lot of businesses will have a mentoring program in a business uh, arena. I'm talking about a spiritual or a biblical mentor, but um, when we think about that, I, I want to be clear as the discipleship pastor, many times mentoring is the model of discipleship in the New Testament. Uh, it is relational, it is intentional, and I'm going to use a lot of words here in a little bit uh, to kind of give you that. But who do you think is the second best mentor or discipler in the Bible? Paul, Paul okay. Anybody else? John, okay. Abraham, all right. Moses, all right. There's no right or wrong answer. I I'll tell you my answer. My, my answer is Barnabas, you know, and... Uh, years ago, when I was thinking about this thing about mentoring, you know, um, I, I kind of relate more to a Barnabas, and you'll understand why my role here at, at Village Church, but I really appreciate this guy Barnabas. I, I think he is probably the second best mentor uh, next to Jesus uh, in the entire New Testament, maybe in the entire, in the entire Bible. And you say, well, well, you know, prove it. Well, I, that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, so the I want to go back to having you guys engage with me, okay? I want you to say this. I'll go ahead and put that. Um, we don't need any more experts. We need more Barnabases. Now, I know you've got to be careful the way you say that last part, but we can say it, okay? 
All right, let's say it together. We don't need any more experts. We need more Barnabases. Barnabases, all right? And as you can tell, I'm going to add something to that a little bit later. I want to read to you, maybe you've got your Bible, but Acts chapter 11. And I want you to, I want you to hear how the New Testament, how Luke describes Barnabas. And there's a story in Acts chapter 11. Uh, that is not the first time that Barnabas shows up, all right? But it is probably the best example of what I want to share with you tonight. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, this is what the Bible says. And in, in Acts chapter 11, the gospel is being, it, it, is, it is gaining traction and is spreading throughout the, the, the Middle East. It is spreading beyond Jerusalem. It's now into Asia, Asia Minor. Uh, it's in a, a, an area called Antioch. Uh, so here's what happens. The report comes back. There is a report of this, the spreading of the gospel, to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas was their delegate to go find this out. By the way, this is 300 miles. So this is not just like, oh, just that's the next town over. No, they sent Barnabas 300 miles away to find out about what was going on in Antioch. So when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with, stead, with the steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And, the great, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So that kind of gives you the synopsis of what Barnabas did, but it doesn't stop there. So Barnabas, apparently on his own free will, in his own initiative, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, if you know about the, the interaction between Paul or, or Barnabas and Saul, or who later became Paul, you know that when uh, Paul first became uh, a Christian and came to know, know the Lord as a Savior, that he was preaching, and the Jerusalem church were very nervous about this guy Saul because he was the, the great executor of Christians. And it was Barnabas who intervened for, for uh, Paul and brought him, uh, interacted with him, and then brought him to the church and said, hey, I, I know what he used to be. He's not like that anymore. I'm going to vouch for him, okay? Ten years or so has elapsed. So there, there is some time here that Paul has been growing in his, uh, his spiritual journey and his life ministry. So ten years have happened, uh, of life has happened between that encounter and this encounter. So, so Barnabas goes, he went to uh, Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, uh, he brought him back to Antioch, uh, or brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and it was there in Antioch that they were first called Christians. Okay? This is a significant event in church history. This is significant because there is stuff that's happening, and this is where the Jerusalem church was, was at. They were like, hey, we're really glad that we're in control of what's going on here in Jerusalem and a little bit beyond Jerusalem, but this thing's going on, this, this thing called the gospel, this news about Jesus, these people, you know, these Gentiles and these Hellenists, uh, the, the Greek-speaking Gentiles, they are gaining traction, and this, this thing called church is getting out of hand, and so they trust Barnabas enough 
to go find out about it. And Barnabas then is the one who, who uh, gathers uh, Saul or Paul, and then they're the ones that begin this ministry of teaching. If you know your church history, you know that the second most important city to the early church besides Jerusalem is Antioch. Antioch is where Paul uh, starts uh, his first missionary journey and then a second, and they, they start going out from there spreading the gospel. This is a significant event. So I want to share with you, and when I first looked at this, I thought, oh, there's just four notable things here about Barnabas and his mentoring. No, there's five. Then there's six and seven. Uh, well, I, I stopped at 13. All right, so I'm going to give you these, and I don't expect you to memorize them or, or know them all. But we first encounter Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, where he is the one who sees the need of the, of the Jerusalem church. He sells a piece of property, and he gives the, the, the proceeds to the early church. He is a generous man. So that's the first thing we find about him. And then we find out that he's a servant. He was willing to go these 300 miles, and apparently at his own expense. Uh, he was a man of discernment and wisdom. You, this was a special, delicate situation. You know, Jerusalem was filled with Jewish people, Hebrew-speaking mainly Jew, uh, Jewish people, and now we've got Greek-speaking Jewish people and Gentiles that are gathering, uh, gathering because of the gospel and becoming united in, in this person called Jesus. And if this is going to be a, you know, it, it's going to take someone with some wisdom and some skill to navigate this. He was a man of encouragement. You know that that's what his name means, right? Bar, you know, bar meaning son of. Son of encouragement was what his name meant. Uh, fifth, he was a man of integrity. Six, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly says that. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. And that was exactly the same words that they used, uh, Luke used to describe Stephen. Fifth, he was a man who saw potential. He saw potential in Paul when no one else saw any potential in Paul. And he was the one that said, hey, I'm going to go check out, you know, Saul, Paul, the great executor uh, of Christians. I'm going to go talk with him. I'm going to find out about him. Again, the Lord had prompted him to do that. We know that's what the scripture says. But he is the one that saw great potential in Paul. And he sees still great potential in Paul. And he said, now, if anyone can help me navigate this new thing of the, new, of the early church, I'm going to go get Saul or Paul. I'm going to go get him, and he's going to help me navigate this. That is going to be significant a piece when, when you talk about mentoring. The, 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 the potential in your mentee, the learner. Ninth, he was a man who was willing to invest time. They invested, it's interesting in this, in this phraseology that when, it doesn't really say that he was in Antioch, that Barnabas was in Antioch and he went to Tarsus. And he, he just, you know, rang Paul up on his cell phone and said, hey, you know, come, come with me. No, it says that he actually had to search him out. He spent some time to invest in finding Paul. Where was he at? What was he doing? Once he found him, the two of them came back. They spent an entire year there together investing, and a mentor is going to invest uh, time in the learner. He was able to teach. Uh, number 11, he was humble. I'm going to bring something up here a little bit later about, about the, 
the attitude that a mentor needs to have. Twelfth, uh, he was willing to let his mentor or mentee go further than he did. Now, what do, you, what do I mean by that? When we first read about Paul and, Barna, uh, yeah, Paul and Barnabas going on their first missionary journey, it's interesting to see the order of names. At first is Barnabas and Paul. It's Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul. And about halfway through that first missionary journey, it switches. And now it's Paul and Barnabas now is in the second chair. When you think about, um, I, I told you that one of the other less known uh, pairs of mentor-mentees was Barnabas and this guy named John Mark. Uh, the reason that we have the gospel by Mark is because Barnabas invested in him. So there is no book of Barnabas. I, I know there's extra, you know, there is an epistle of Barnabas, and, but we don't consider that canonical. All right. Barnabas has no platform. John Mark, Mark has a platform. Paul has a platform. Barnabas is in the second chair. He was willing to let that happen. And then third, 13th, he was a man who wasn't perfect. And in spite of uh, what you think, um, there was a disagreement after the first missionary journey between the mentor and the mentee, between Barnabas and Paul. And there was a disagreement because Mark had deserted them. And, and Barnabas wanted him to come. Paul said, absolutely not. He's left us once. We're not going to go through that experience again. They got in such a heated debate that the two split and went separate ways. I'm not saying that Barnabas was wrong. We don't know whether he was wrong or whether Paul was right. or We, we don't know that. But he wasn't a perfect man. And later Paul will say in Galatians that that somehow Barnabas got caught up in separating himself from the Gentiles. And, and we don't know what all that means, but we do know that Barnabas wasn't a perfect man. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is if we look at 13 aspects of Barnabas, we see these are the aspects, these are the attitudes, these are the behaviors, these are what is required to be a mentor uh, in, in a statue of this guy called Barnabas. Right. I want to share with you just some thoughts. What were the results of Barnabas' encouragement and mentoring uh, of these, we know of at least two of these men. If it wasn't for Barnabas, it's likely, you know, it's the what if, you know. Do you, do you guys ever play that? My kids used to always play that. Well, what if Adam and Eve never sinned? Well, that's a good what if, but we're not going there because that didn't happen. Um, all right, but what if Barnabas would not have mentored Paul? Well, it's likely that there would have never been the missionary journeys. The gospel would not have spread. Paul would have never wrote his epistles, his letters. Um, we would not have the gospel according to Mark. Um, the early church would not have had the, its amazing growth, and the spread of the gospel would not have happened. Now, I, I understand that's a great hypothetical. All right, but I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is, Barnabas was a part of all of that. And when we think about the great mentors in the Bible, none of us thought about Barnabas, right? 
So he is significant to this early church. So here's what I want us to say. I want to come back to this. I've already had you say the first two phrases. Now I want you to say the last phrase. We don't need any more experts. All right? We don't need any more. We need more Barnabases, and I can be a Barnabas. And I want you to say that last part with meaning, because I believe you can be a Barnabas. All right? So it's on, the it's on the screen. You can say it. Let's say it together. We don't need any more experts. We need more Barnabases. I can be a Barnabas. I can be a Barnabas. I can be a Barnabas to someone. Okay? So let me just share with you a couple of things about, about what does it mean to be a Barnabas to someone else. Um, you may not, and I know that I don't line up to all 13 Barnabas's character qualities, his abilities, his skills, and, and the things that he did. I, I fall short on some of those. I, I strive to be more like him. I strive to be more like the Lord, but um, it doesn't matter. Maybe you're pretty good at four or five of those. Right? You can still be a Barnabas to someone. So what would it look like to be a Barnabas to someone else's life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If I was a mentor to someone else, what would that look like? You know, have you ever thought of yourself being in that role? You know, often what we do is we get caught up in the busyness of our life and we're taking care of our own problems, our own situations. And uh, this is what my son learned to say. I don't know where he got it, but he got it just about the time he was old enough to talk. Uh, Daddy, me do it myself. Daddy, me do it myself. And there is this mentality that you're a man, figure it out. You're a man, real men don't need other men, get it done. Um, I am so thankful that, that what I am seeing in the millennials and the generation below the millennials is a whole new attitude when it comes to this. They're, they are much more open than my generation and, and the generation ahead of me because we, we were all always, it was always ingrained in us that do it yourself, don't ask for help. You know, if you ask for help, that expresses or demonstrates weakness. But the millennials and the generation below the millennials, they're open. You know, I think they know they're stupid. We just, we, we're lying to ourselves, you know. Uh, and so you know you're stupid. You know you need help. And so you're willing to ask for it. You know, and it's great to hear, you know, Ryan, I want to pick on Ryan. Ryan, it was, uh, it was in September. You came to me and you said, hey, could you meet with me and could we start getting together on an every other week basis? Wasn't that what it was? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I see Bert meeting with people, you know, regularly. Um, there are people in this room that do this and, and do it regularly and intentionally. You can do that too. So let me just share with you, what does it take to be a mentor? And this is uh, just a couple of simple things. It needs, you need to be intentional. There needs to be intentionality. It might start off in an accident, but it doesn't continue accidentally. You need, to, you need to have a minimal time of meeting at least once a month. Maybe it's every other, every other week. Maybe you know, for some time you might meet every week, but it's at least once a month. There's got to be a time investment, all right? Relations deepen with time. 
The more time you spend with someone, the deeper the relationship goes. The more that you invest in someone, the more, the more you see that investment uh, gaining traction. I like to use the ATV method, okay? Uh, be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. Um, I, I do a, a seminar on relationships. Every, relationships. every relationship starts superficial. You know, we're just, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, slapping each other, you know, hand high fives and stuff like that. That's superficial. But you got to get to the point where you move from, from uh, superficial to authentic. Hey, I'm a real guy with real problems. You got problems. We got problems. Yeah, we got problems. Transparent. Let's talk about what our problems are. That's transparent. And then vulnerable is where we really get down in the nitty-gritty, the, 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 the ucky and the mucky, you know, stuff. We really start opening up and sharing. Um, so that's what it should look like. There's got to be some patience that's displayed. You know, mistakes are going to be made by the mentee, the, the learner, and by the mentor. Now, there's got to be an understanding. Each mentoring relationship, I've had a lot of them. I've had a lot of mentors, and I've had a lot of mentees. I still think that sounds funny. All right? But I've had a lot of learners, and every relationship is unique. It's going to be different. Um, all of them are not going to be the same. So there's got to be some kind of understanding. There's got to be from foresight. You know, remember I told you about Barnabas? You've got to have, if you're a mentor, you've got to see potential and possibilities in your learner, in your protege, you know, in your mentee. You've got to be able to see that potential. And you've got to, at times, call that out and say, I see great potential in you. I see great possibilities. You've got to have that next thing, which is just having a confidence that God is going to see this through. Not, not a confidence in yourself, not a self-confidence, but a confidence that if, if you are trying your best to invest in, in this protege, this learner, this mentee, that God is going to do a work, and he's going to bless your efforts, even as fallible as they might be. Right? So what are the benefits of, of, of being a mentor? Um, and again, I'm speaking from personal experience. And for me, this has always been the, the, for, uh, the one that has been the for, foremost. It's joy. You know, when I'm, in a, when I'm mentoring someone else and I am watching what is happening in their life and the life transformation that's happening, there is a joy uh, of just seeing that God is faithfully working in and through me. I, I love what 3 John says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I mean, that is, that is what it's all about. That is what mentoring and discipleship is all about. Then there's a, the, another benefit is the depth of the relationship. You know, where you go from superficial all the way to vulnerable, and you're doing life together, and the depth of the friendship, and the depth of the relationship that, you know, the, the mentoring relationship may only last six months or a year, but it, the relationship lasts a lifetime. There's a satisfaction, you know, what, what I would call righteous pride, a satisfaction that God is doing something here beyond your own ability. And then there's a mutual accountability that happens. You know, my wife always says, I, uh, we need to find a couple to do marriage counseling with. I said, why do we do that? You need some help. That's what she says. Because she says, you're always a better husband when we're doing marriage counseling. You know, and, and it's true. 
when I am mentoring somebody else, I'm a better Christian. I'm a better follower of Jesus because I'm in a, a relationship that, you know, people are watching me or someone is watching me. And I've got I've to be careful what I do and say. All right. So who can initiate mentoring relationships? Well, it can go either way. You know, the mentor can see the potential in a protege or someone that, you know, is, uh, you know, they have a relationship with and say, you know what, let's see if we can start getting together. Bert, you do that a lot. You do. You, you are probably the one that, when I thought about that, uh, this point is you initiate more of these mentoring relationships than vice versa. Ryan initiated the relationship with me. You know, and, you know, I, I wish I could have done that. You know? I love what Andy Stanley says, you know, because here's the truth. When it comes to mentoring, um, you, you know, uh, I'm looking at Pat, and I know you've mentored a lot of people. You know, you'd love, we would love to mentor everyone. We'd love to have uh, an ability to speak in everyone's life, but it would be shallow at best and wide uh, and not narrow and deep. So Andy Stanley had a comment that really has attracted me um, many years ago. Do for the one what you wish you could do for the many, you know? And so that's, that's what we have to do. You know, do for the one, pour in, invest in one what you wish you could do for everyone or for the many. Um, how do I start being a mentor? Hopefully you've seen that you can be a Barnabas. You can do this. You can mentor someone else. So where do you start? Well, how many of you have children? There's where you start. Your first and foremost ministry, your first and foremost, most important people in your life to mentor is your children. Now, obviously, you need to mentor your wife, but your children, you need to invest in them. You need to learn, learn from, uh, you need to invest in them, learn who they are, and learn what they need, and you need to be the role model to them you need to mentor your children. But then beyond that, there are other guys in this church that you need to, eyes wide open, who can I invest in? You know, that's what, that's what you need to be looking at. You need to look out there and see who's got great potential and has been, it's untapped. You know, and I'm not talking about in every area of life, but in this area of life, in the spiritual growth life. You know, where, where are they at? And they may, you know, here's, here's what's interesting. They may, may be further ahead of you in their, uh, in their business, in their career than you are. But that doesn't mean that you can't mentor them. Right? On your tables, there's a sheet of paper in the middle of your table. And one of the things that we are, the men's ministry is looking to do after the first of the year or soon after that, is if you feel that you really could be a Barnabas, you know, you just weren't saying those words a few minutes ago. But you feel like, you know what, I could do this. I could mentor someone else. I would be willing to invest the time, the energy. I'd be willing to look, uh, look after someone else. I'd ask you to just put your name and your email uh, address on that piece of paper. Um, no one's going to twist your arm. You know, you may be in a stage of life that you say, you know what, I just can't do it right now. You know, I've got so much going on in my life. I cannot do it right now. All right? If you think that at some point next year that you could do this thing called mentoring, 
you know, put a little note next, not now, but in the future. So let us know that. We will follow up with you. The men's ministry will follow up with you. What will happen in our next meeting, uh, the first week in, in December, we're going to have a similar list, and we're, Mike's going to be talking about what is it like to be a mentee or a protege or a learner, um, and we're going to be asking if you'd be willing to be mentored. We're going to have, a, have some of you guys sign up for that. Right? You're never too old to be mentored, to be on the other end of this. And you're never too young, within reason, to be a mentor. All right? Either one of those. I, I want to end with this verse. It's 2 Timothy 2.1, 2, where Paul says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others. That is what mentoring is all about. Learning from your mentor and then passing that on to the next person who passes it on to the next person who passes it on. That's the way the gospel spread. That's the way disciples are made. That's the way mentoring should flow. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for these guys. Whether they know it or not, each of them have been called by you to make a difference in the life of someone else. Uh, if you've called them to yourself in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've called them to be a disciple maker, a mentor to someone else, to not hoard what goodness and good things they've learned from you, but to pass them on to someone else. So Lord, may you encourage them, may you challenge them, may they be a part of something bigger than themselves, and may they be a part of someone else's lives, another man's life, uh, another child's life, that can take the gospel and take it further than where they're able to take it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.